What makes you feel most at home? Is it a familiar dish? Or a favorite family photo? Or maybe a playlist of songs you grew up with? For Cece Cullen's 10-year-old son, Kama'ehu, it was his malo. A simple bark cloth wrapped around the legs and waist, it's a traditional garment worn by Hawaiian men. You won't see many guys in Hawaii wear it today, let alone in Las Vegas. So when Cece needed to go to the grocery store and Kama'ehu decided to tag along wearing only his malo, the reaction she got was, Why would you allow him to do that? That's Cece. Cece and her family moved to Vegas three years ago. I took a few snapshots and I posted it. And of course, there are two sides. Majority of the response was like, Eo, kukia imona. And then some people are like, why would you do that to your son? But Cece explains that wearing a malo was what made her son feel most like himself. It was a piece of Hawaii he could hold on to. It's always been second nature to him. Like, he's worn a malo since he was barely walking. Ironically, he feels most protected when he's the most naked in a model. Cece says that the move to Las Vegas was difficult on her and her kids. But staying in Hawaii could have torn her family apart. The situation wasn't going to get any better at home. So I uprooted and came up with four boxes. Almost half of all Native Hawaiians now live outside of Hawaii. And while many, including Sisi, have cited Hawaii's high cost of living as the main reason for leaving, it's really just a piece of a much larger story. From Honolulu Civil Beat, this is Offshore, stories from Hawaii. I'm Ku'u Ka'uanoe. This is episode five of our fourth season, Far From Home. Native Hawaiians have a long history of travel and exploration. And over the course of this season, we've looked at stories from the past to try to get a more complete picture of the present. We learned about Ka'iana and Kawahine, some of the first Hawaiians to adventure into the Western world. We saw how Native Hawaiians made their mark on American history, from the gold rush to the Civil War. Now we're going to take a look at the journeys Hawaiians are taking today. While some are exciting, others are painful. Long moves to faraway cities, thousands of miles away from friends and family, in search of a future they can't see for themselves in Hawaii. Native Hawaiians abroad can rightfully be understood as economic refugees from an economy that is skewed towards tourism, the military, and other economic forces that leave no space (laughs) for people to imagine their lives. Is it really now Hawaii? They're seeing themselves being pushed out. You left Hawaii, so you're not really as Hawaiian because you don't live here. That's where this story of abroad can be painful. Aloha please join us and dance and chant with us so that we can send all of these good intentions to our mauna. Artisan booths lined with lauhala hats and colorful leis, paintings of beaches, the smell of kalua pig, and a kid running past with a rainbow shave ice in hand. 
hula dancers on the stage. It looks and sounds and smells like Hawaii. But we're in Southern California at the Alondra Park Ho'olaulea. The festival is run by the Hawaiian Interclub Council of Southern California, led by Lono Callers. We welcome our community to our Ho'olaulea every year, third weekend in July, and it's usually huge, uh, 80,000 people over the weekend. All the Hawaiian community always comes together to share the aloha, wherever we go. So being Hawaiian, staying Hawaiian, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. This isn't some hokey faux Hawaiian celebration. It's a festival that draws thousands of Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders from around the country each year. You weren't here yesterday. We have a family reunion at my tent last night. That's Momi Nakila. Everyone at the festival calls her Auntie Momi. She moved to California 45 years ago. She volunteers to teach laymaking at the festival every year and organizes elaborate family reunions with cultural games for the kids. The adults are looking at me and they say, Auntie, you work so hard. Why? And I said, because if we do not teach our babies what family is about, they only think of mama, daddy, sister, brother, grandma, grandpa. No, this family is humongous. Keeping a sense of ohana when you move to the mainland is hard, Auntie Momi says. She estimates that her extended family on the mainland numbers at least 300. I have family that came from Bakersfield, from Vegas, from Santa Barbara. I mean, they're coming. I had one family came all the way from Minnesota. They drove. I said, These boys came from Washington State last night to be here, to be a part of this. Everyone at the festival has a story to share about why they left, where their family is, how much they love to gather together at this festival once a year. My name is Kathy Healii Onalani Gore Stanley. My dad was in the military and we were transferred here. My name is Sissy Kaio and I am the Kumuhula of Halau Olilinoi, Napua Meke Aloha. I've been here almost 50 years. This Ho'olaulea gathering, it's a time for all the Hawaiians that are living on the mainland and that still long to be in Hawaii, but economics has us here. So we raise our families here. We're in the third generation of our halo, and most of them were born here in the mainland. And they are trying to find their connection to their grandparents that are from like Hawaii or Maui or um, Oahu. Thanks so much for letting us meet you here, by the way, y'all. Oh, yeah, sure. Wendy Kekahio and Sean Kana'iaupuni study Native Hawaiian outmigration at Kamehameha Schools. Hawaii is losing more and more residents, and that's certainly gotten a lot of attention in recent years. That's Sean. We're sitting in their office in downtown Honolulu. Sean and her team really wanted to get a more complete picture of why people were leaving. They wanted to know the stories behind the numbers. You know, Based on 2010 census, 45% of Native Hawaiians aren't in Hawaii, right? So that's kind of alarming. You want to know what's going on. Where are they? Why did they leave? Are they going to come back? As, you know, Hawaii's first people, I'm very concerned. And and we know that a lot of the Native Hawaiian population is low income and, you know, socioeconomically struggling in our state. So 
one of the triggers or reasons that we wanted to, you know, understand this, these changes a little better was to understand what's happening for our Hawaiian families. The team at Kamehameha Schools interviewed 250 people in Hawaii, about half of them Native Hawaiians. And they found that around 38% of people living in Hawaii think about moving away. Young people were the most likely to want to leave, looking for jobs and affordable housing, while older people said they wanted to follow family members who had already gone to the mainland. And I guess I've always kind of known this. During college, I moved to New York because I wanted to work in TV. And everyone said that if I wanted to do that, I would have to move to the mainland. I got a job at a late-night TV show, and it was exciting. A great job in a great city. So it surprised me at how homesick I felt. Growing up, I already wondered if I was Hawaiian enough. And now, being away from my family and my friends and my home, I felt even more disconnected. People would be like, oh, you're from Hawaii? Why would you ever leave? I hated that so much because I love my home. But Hawaii is not always the paradise people see on vacation. Hawaii typically has low unemployment rates and a higher median income than the rest of the country. But the cost of living is disproportionately higher here. Sean says that to truly understand what Hawaii's families are going through, we need to not only look at why they leave, but also why they stay. Some of them will just do whatever it takes to stay. And so that's been a really interesting line of inquiry as well, is to understand, you know, what keeps people here. And it's that love, that aloha'ina and love for your family and, you know, the things that are motivations to, to keep the struggle, <laughs> struggle with the struggle. To be with my family and friends, to be a part of my community, those are all the reasons I came back. And this decision of should I stay or should I go, it's something that a lot of Native Hawaiians struggle with. And when you ask people who have left about their stories, the journey is often complicated and painful. Okay, first and foremost, I'm very open about this. The majority of Hawaii knows what it's like and the economy that you have to live in in, in Hawaii in order to have a little cushion to, to go on vacations or have luxuries in life. So, yeah, we, we sunk really deep into that living paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck lifestyle. As a young mother, Cece Cullen couldn't imagine raising her kids anywhere but her home in Hawaii. She wanted her kids to grow up near family and be immersed in their native Hawaiian culture. But keeping up with Hawaii's high cost of living was difficult. It often meant long work hours for her and her husband, Nakoa, which meant less time with her kids and with each other. Before you knew it, we were like just roommates at some point in, in the most lamest way I can say it. This was definitely not the life she envisioned for herself. All our families and friends, our peers who, you know, had young, growing families lived in multi-generational homes. Three generations in one home just to make ends meet. And, and not out of disrespect to anyone, but that's a means to an end. And for us, that was never in the plan. Most importantly, she wanted to provide for her kids to allow them every opportunity for a fulfilling childhood. To have 
that cushion or have that vacation time or allow our children to have extra money um, to to do things as they grew older. Extracurriculars cost money. Traveling for sports cost money. And it was just something that we couldn't do at times. And, you know, as a parent, that's heartbreaking. We did it. We made ends meet, but there was very, very little wiggle room. Very little wiggle room. When Nicole got a job opportunity in Vegas, he moved up alone. They were hesitant about moving the whole family. Their children were still young, and they didn't want to just pull them away from their family and friends. When Cece visited Nicola in his new home, she would try to convince him to come back to Oahu. But even her friends and her family knew, if she didn't move up there with him, it might be the end of her marriage. I, I cried. I cried every night to move into a house that felt so empty. And we moved in the middle of winter, so it was literally cold outside, cold inside. My heart was cold. I hated it. I hated, hated, hated it. I I, I didn't know what I was going to do. It, it was rough. It was definitely rough uh, as a parent and feeling very, very hopeless. But knowing in my heart this was something that I wanted to, to at least explore, you know, if it was an option for our family. In Vegas, they could live on her husband's single income. She could be a stay-at-home mom, spend time with her kids, and really focus her energy on creating the family life that she felt she was missing in Hawaii comes with a lot of sacrifices as well because we're not home in Hawaii, our Kula'ivi, our homeland, but we are allowed to be more united as an Ohana now more than ever in our lives, which sounds really ironic because, you know, as Hawaiians, as Kanaka Maoli, people of the land, Ohana, the base of Ohana comes from our Aina. So to be uprooted and then put into this this foreign world, and then finding ourselves is, is truly the concept for us. Because the children were enrolled at Hawaiian immersion schools, the family decided to bring that curriculum with them to Vegas. They spoke Olelo Hawaii at home, attended gatherings with other Native Hawaiians in their community. Cece even started dancing hula again, something she hadn't done for a long time. Finding that the time for me and creating our day-to-day lives again and getting back into it, that's when I started discovering myself as, as a Kanaka again as well. well. I hope that fried rice is good. Cece and her family have actually followed in the footsteps of many others who have made the move from Hawaii to Vegas. There are so many Hawaii families in Vegas that it's known to many locals as the Ninth Island. And Vegas knows this. My editor Jess and I went to Vegas last July to meet up with some Hawaiians living in the Ninth Island. We stayed at the California Hotel and Casino, and if you know the Cal, it's marketed toward Hawaii people. There are hibiscus prints on the elevators, the drinks come from the Holoholo bar, and the restaurants serve Hawaii favorites. We planned to meet up with a local group, the Hawaii Patriots League of Las Vegas, after we saw their Facebook page inviting people to learn Hawaiian to Olelo with them. We expected to meet one or two people, but when we showed up at their go-to Hawaiian restaurant, there were half a dozen. Would you guys be okay with a picture? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. 
with audio gear on since the yeah. beginning of you? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. 92, I moved to Las Vegas. And my three boys never grew up Hawaiian either here. And I never got in, involved in the Hawaiian community until 2005 when I retired from United Airlines. And that's when I realized, you know, there's, there's something missing. What was missing for Owen Wong was a connection to his culture. That's why I always consider myself a man without an island. I didn't know what to say when he said that. It's sad to think that Owen felt like he didn't have a home. The farther away you move from your motherland, the more we lose of our culture. Most of them moved up because of cost of living and job opportunities. The Marciels moved back and forth between Hawaii and California for years before finally settling in Vegas. Kale Marciel showed us this old picture of the first time he moved, with his parents and 10 of his siblings, all of them wearing lace for their send-off. Father Victor at the Church of St. Patrick told my dad it was best for us to seek our betters and our future there in California. All these little kids lined up in a row at the airport. They look hopeful and maybe a little lost. You look at that picture. Yes. It shows how strong his mother was. Yes. When he when I heard that story, I go, wow, your mother's gotta be so tough. Yes, she was tough. She's a good mother and, and all those kids yeah. What stuck with Kale the most were all the faces waving back at him. Some of them Hawaiian, some of them not. And he wondered why they would get to stay in his homeland and he was leaving. He thought they were the lucky ones. So that was our diaspora, the first one in my life. But I always dreamed it like, oh, we would all move there. Like all my cousins, we, yeah, let's all go live over there. And like, so it was in my heart when I was a little kid. That's Keo's son, Keo Kani. He was born and raised in California and this longing to live in Hawaii, he's felt it all his life. This longing for his homeland, he got it from his father. It's always been a burning uh, hope, which now, as a senior elder, I find that uh, it's a regret. It's always in my heart to return to my homeland and to be close to my ancestors and the, the land that hums for me. Inherent in the water as it breathes, as it hits the shore, speaks to me. That's the voices I hear, and it's the murmurings of my, my grandpa, my grandmother, and, and all the rest of my beloved predecessors before me, and this is what I hope to join someday soon. I asked Keo's wife how it felt to know her husband wanted to go back to Hawaii. Well, I think most Hawaiians want to go back to Hawaii. But there's a reality that you can't live there. You can't go back. It's a hard thing to accept. So they tried to build a Hawaiian community in Vegas through learning and teaching Olalo. But while they've strengthened their place in Vegas, maintaining ties to Hawaii has been harder than they thought it would be. Keokani tried to start a mainland branch of a Hawaii civics and social group. But to his surprise, the members in Hawaii shot down the proposal. Yeah, I was blindsided and I was very upset. 
He said it was one of the most stressed times in his life. One of the officers, she has a very strong personal opinion against Hawaiians who moved away. Like, well, they moved away. Like, it's a betrayal. Uh, we got Nalani here. She's going to give us the Hawaiian word for today. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And it is alaka'i, which means leadership, mentorship. I found Erin Nalani beat through a university radio show. When I heard that she and others were trying to open a Hawaiian immersion school in Henderson, a small town outside of Vegas, I knew I wanted to meet her. I was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. My mother is full-blooded Hawaiian. She moved out here for a scholarship opportunity. And then I moved out here to Las Vegas about 15 years ago. Erin invited us to her home, a suburban house with cacti in her front yard. And we talked story on her couch. I know my mom kept us living in the States because there was so much opportunity out here in the mainland. Growing up in Kansas was hard. Erin always felt like she stuck out from her classmates. We were often misidentified as being Spanish because we look different. Most of them were blonde hair, blue eyed. And maybe that's why going back to Hawaii for an internship during college was so emotional for her. My family picked me up and I haven't seen them in 20 years. And everything that you ever dream of what family is like, instant connection. Like they care about you, they wanna help you, people hug you, people kiss you, you're Even strangers, like that was completely different. That's not what we do in Kansas. Remembering that warm welcome and that sense of belonging, it made Aaron tear up. And that's what it was. Connection to people, we forget how to do that, but they remind you how to do it. And I guess that's what it was. That's what it was. Since then, Erin has been back to the islands a bunch of times. But even though she's grown closer to her culture, she still has some insecurities. When she was growing up in the Midwest, she felt too Hawaiian to fit in. Now, the problem is flipped. Some people will tell me, oh, you're Hawaiian. You don't look Hawaiian. You look so howly. Even my mom makes comments about that. But you're so fair. But it hurts me. You know what I mean? Because I do want to fit in. I can't help the way I look. When Erin said that, I started to tear up. You could see the pain in her eyes of not feeling like she fit in on either side, and it just reminded me of the pain I've felt since I was a kid and how I've also wondered if I was Hawaiian enough. At the beginning of this season, I wondered if other people also felt like this. And story after story was showing me that, yeah, a lot of Kanaka are struggling. I do feel a disconnection. And then sometimes a disconnection is angry. And I also feel like sometimes I have to prove that I'm Hawaiian. So I'll spend more time out in the sun. Or now I picked up Hawaiian language, so I want to be fluent. So I can prove to you I'm even Hawaiian more. So you'll accept me. Erin says it's easier to stay connected to Hawaiian culture when you're in the islands, surrounded by other Hawaiians. But on the mainland, it's different. You really have to seek it out. You really have to want it. And you really have to bring it into practice, not only outside, but also in your home. And that's why she wants to start a Hawaiian immersion charter school.
Um, I'm actually here also representing our new Polynesian Charter School. Have you heard of Alakai Heritage Academy? It's an unbearably hot July day, and Erin is walking around a small public park in Las Vegas. Dozens of Hawaiian families are gathered for a picnic, and she's introducing herself to them one by one and telling them about the Hawaiian Charter School she wants to open up. Um, we're going to open not this year, but the following school year, um, K through 8. So our... Erin, you signed up? Yep. Thank you. Erin says 639 students are on the school's interest list, nearly twice as many kids as there will be slots available. But they need to demonstrate a lot of interest to the Charter School Commission. They have to prove there is a real need for a Hawaiian-focused school. She sees Hawaiians moving each year to Las Vegas, and she knows the challenges their kids will face. When I had children is when I really started to go, I know what it's like to not have that sense of belonging. I definitely don't want them to feel that way. I don't want them to grow up without not knowing and appreciating our culture and giving them those opportunities. Opportunities for her kids who grew up in the diaspora, but also kids who moved from Hawaii to the mainland. Kids like Cece's son. A lot of them come here and they go through this major culture shock, right? Like, who... Who am I? Everything I was doing, I was dancing before, I was eating the food, I was, you know, in an ohana house. And now I have to learn to be separate, right? And it becomes really hard for the children. There's that sense of longing, a sense of wanting to know who you are and where you belong. You've been listening to Offshore, stories from Hawaii. I'm Ku'u Ka'uanoe. Aaron and Cece are part of a younger generation of Hawaiians who want to be home in Hawaii someday, but have found their calling, their kuleana, on the mainland. I have a lot of work I feel I have to do out here. It's like a spiritual calling. And there's a sense of urgency for Aaron. Our people are leaving, and if you don't let them still feel connected, they, they might completely leave the culture in itself. And not because they want to, but because you become so ingrained in everybody else's culture, you don't realize that you're slowly letting those parts go. But other Hawaiians raised abroad are on a journey to come back home to the islands. What happens when they get there? That's next on Offshore. Offshore is produced by Honolulu Civil Beat, a nonprofit news organization dedicated to building an informed community with news you can trust. You can find other seasons of Offshore at offshorepodcast.org. If you're enjoying these episodes and want to talk to us and other Offshore listeners, we're holding virtual talk story sessions every week. Sign up at offshorepodcast.eventbrite.com or email us at producer at offshorepodcast.org. When you think of medieval history, do you imagine plagues, darkness, and peasants mired endlessly in the mud? Well, I'm happy to report that there was much more to the Middle Ages than that. And on the podcast Human Circus Journeys in the Medieval World, you can experience the stories of its travelers. Whether it's monks from Kublai Khan's China walking the streets of 13th century Paris or English envoys among the Ottomans, every story illustrates a fascinating and interconnected medieval world. If you're enjoying Offshore, please look for Human Circus, Journeys in the Medieval World on your favorite podcasting platform or at humancircuspodcast.com. Offshore's executive producer is Patty Epler. 
Our producers are Jessica Terrell, April Estrelon, and Claire Caulfield. Our engineer this season is Jackie Sojiko. Thanks for listening.